Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can go to creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter and subscribe so that you never miss an episode and are able to make creative progress each and every week. Let's get into this episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. have listened to this podcast for more than one episode, you know that my obsession is storytelling. I just freaking love stories. It's borderline my religion, stories, you know, and <laughs> I could go off on a massive tangent about how that's what mythology is. That's why, you know, that's who we are, because what is your consciousness other than billions and jillions of neurons telling a story that you're just one thing and not a bag of a bunch of billions of things? Anyway, but I won't. I won't. I won't take the bait. Andy, in my brain, that's tempting me. Although I did a little bit. You see how I went off on that. But most of you know that I am obsessed with storytelling. It's my favorite form of creativity. But what most of you might not know is that it wasn't always like that. That I used to, there was a time and a place where storytelling frustrated me so much that I hated it for a season. Um, <laughs> and, and it happened because 
When I was uh, uh, a few years into my career, my illustration career, I got to this point where I thought, you know what? I really think that the place for me, the market for me, is kids' books and and telling stories to kids using my illustration. And so I better learn how to write kids' books. And so I just started writing by myself, alone in my room. I just started to dig into, try to make the best possible kids' books that I could come up with. And I would send them to, because I had already got my toes dipped into the waters of illustrations, I had illustration. Um, I had some contacts that were kids book author illustrators and I had I'd, I was working with a publisher and I got them to connect me to the kids book department and so I started sending my stories out to my peers who did this for a living and editors and um, just anybody that would read it and you know I would make all of this work I would send it over and every single person would just be like I don't know. Keep working, man. <laughs> and I was like, no, I worked so hard on this. What's wrong with it? And they would say, well, you know, in this one, the protagonist is uh, saved by an outside source. And that's just never satisfying. And I'd be like, how do you know that? What does that mean? Like, <laughs> how did you, where did that information come from? But they were right. I could feel it. I could feel that they were right. Or I would send it to a friend and they'd say, well, the problem with this one is that it doesn't circle back to the start. Or the problem with this one is that, you know, you don't have a satisfying thesis or, you know, all of these different things. And I kept thinking, like, how do you know this? What it, What is this secret, vast knowledge of storytelling? And every time I would rewrite, I'd rewrite, I'd come up with something new. I'd say, I'd, I'd probably wrote and, you know, made artwork, sample artwork for like 30 stories at least in that time alongside a whole bunch of other ideas. And I, and this, ha this went on for a few years and I just got to the point where everybody kept giving me feedback that was so nuanced, that was, that was so, such a vast body of information that I didn't have access to that I just thought this is humanly, uh, this isn't humanly possible. This is humanly impossible. I don't think that's a phrase. And I just felt like my progress is so incremental. Do you ever feel like this? It's You're like, okay, you're like uh, listening to this podcast and I'm telling you, don't worry if you're making progress, it's okay. But you know that time is moving faster than your progress. And that you're not, if you keep inching forward at this speed, you're going to die before anything interesting happens. <laughs> Sorry to be blunt and morbid, but you ever feel like that? That's what I felt like. I thought, I'm the the progress that I'm making alone in my room is so slow that I will never get anywhere interesting and this this knowledge of storytelling is so vast it's too much it's just too much to understand and it's just not humanly possible and so if you ever felt like that you know what it's like to start playing the game Assassin's Creed Odyssey Okay, that's that's the game that I just finished playing, uh, and I it, I've just you know I'm freaking obsessed with video games. Every time I say that, by the way, every time I say I'm obsessed with video games, 
I feel like I get this glare or some people will just outright, like my therapist will just ask me this question. Like, you know, you have three kids. Like, are you taking care of your children? Like <laughs> anybody's like, I'm obsessed with video games. Everyone hears it like, I am uh, addicted to hardcore drugs. Let me just so you, just in case you're like, uh, is Andy taking care of his children? I play them only after they go to bed, except for the games that I sometimes play with them. So just, gosh, hold off on the judgment. But anyway, so it's after my kids are fed. They're they're in bed. They have put, they're washed. They've taken baths. Okay. Quit worrying about that part of the story. And I'm I'm in my basement. And my and and now you're thinking, but what about Sophie? What about your wife? What is she doing? Are you neglecting her? She likes the video games. Okay. Good Lord. She's a liberated woman who has an opinion and she is fully empowered to share it with me. She likes the video games. Often she wants me to play them when I don't feel like it. I know you don't believe me, but it's true. Anyway, a massive digression on video games. But I've been playing Assassin's Creed, okay? And when I started out that game, you know, I'm 10 hours in, which is only like a tenth of the game, and I get these quests, and they're time-sensitive quests. And, and I start running to the place I need to be to complete the quest. And the thing about this game is it is so vast that I'm looking at the pace that I'm running, and I can see that I will never get to that target before the time is up. It's just too vast. It's too much. And I started to hate the game as I started playing. I'm like, this is not humanly possible. And then I realized if it wasn't humanly possible, no one would have recommended this game to me. It would not get the ratings that it gets. If it wasn't possible, people wouldn't play it. No one would play this game if it wasn't humanly possible. And so what did I do? I just tried harder. I got the horse that runs almost at the exact same pace as the human, and that didn't work. I just kept running and running and running and failing quests and failing quests until I just threw the game in the trash, right? No! What did I do? You know what I did. I went and I sought out humans that had done it before me and figured out what do they know that makes it humanly possible, that makes the impossible seem possible. And I figured out that there's actually these checkpoints that as you go by them, you can, uh, you know, connect with the checkpoint and then you can teleport, you can transport into all these different places through all out the ancient Greek world. Okay. And what's amazing about when I got the wisdom of others, the wisdom of those that had came before me, the thing that I hated became the thing that I loved when I understood it. The vastness of the game that was too much is by the time I finished the game, the thing that I was obsessed with. Once I figured it out, it wasn't too much. It was so much to explore. And the same thing happened to me in storytelling. When I quit 
trying to make it work alone in my room. And I started to dive into my hero storytellers, the hero story experts, and started to understand what they knew that made it humanly possible. All of a sudden, the reason I hated stories because it was just too much to understand became why it's my lifelong passion because there is not too much, but so much to explore. And that, that's the power of tapping into your hero's knowledge. That's the power of humanizing your heroes because a lot of people say, never meet your heroes because you'll see they're human. I say, no, meet your heroes because when you humanize them, the heroic will appear humanly possible. And so if you want to be a hero like Alexios, that's the guy from Assassin's Creed Odyssey, but in the creative career world, I'm going to invite you to quit struggling to break the barriers alone in your room. And go tap into, go do whatever it takes to meet your heroes and find out the secret knowledge that they know. Because if you will, the things that most frustrate you about your creative practice now are going to be the things that make it so satisfying later. Let's go. Okay, so the first thing you need to do, number one, is prioritize humanizing your heroes. Prioritize meeting your heroes. This whole episode is going to give you some tactics about how to do that, how to actually connect in real life with your heroes, even if it's not exactly directly as as directly as humanly possible. Uh, we're going to talk about how, but I also want to talk about why and when you understand why you're going to make it a top priority. For most of us, including me, either I never knew that or I forget it all the time. And recently I was really re reminded by how powerful it is to have mentors, to be mentored from people who have done things that seem completely magic from the outside. But when you get up close and personal, you see that it's not magic. It's just human. And the person that reminded me of this recently is Derek Delgadio. Derek Delgadio. You're not going to hear me stop talking about this fella because I am a super fan. If you don't know, he has a special on Hulu called In and of Itself. And it is incredible. I I don't, there's very few things right now that I recommend as highly as that in terms of creativity. It's a one-man show. He's kind of a sleight of hand magician, but he's also more than that. He's a storyteller and it's not a magic show. It does utilize some of those skills. And I don't want to tell you anything else other than that. It is on the cutting edge, in my opinion, of, of people doing meaningful creative work. He is a 
magician, literally and creatively. And uh, not only that, but I just finished his book and I'm not going to give you any spoilers of the book. I'm only going to tell you things in this episode that you could read in a blurb about the book, mainly to entice you. The book is called A Moral Amoral Man, all one word, uh, you know, like amoral, amoral man. And it's, so, it, it, it's storytelling at its finest, in my opinion. It freaking got me and I love it so much. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because in the book, a lot of it is about his journey from where he was to meeting his greatest heroes and learning from them and how it made him great, how it was the secret to him doing what, you know, when you watch his special, you're going to be like, how does he do this? How he did that was learn was was prioritizing, humanizing his heroes, meeting his heroes, and uh, you know the thing is is that when I tell you go meet your heroes, I'm I can hear everyone saying protest protest protesting. I doth protest of meeting my heroes. I live in Southern Indiana. What is that accent? <laughs> uh, I don't. I live in Ohio now. But wherever you are. There is a path to humanizing your heroes. Derek Delgadio's story is such a prime example of that. He lived in a random place in Colorado, and he just made it his job to spend time with people that knew a little bit more than he did about his passion of magic. And that was just the person that owned the local magic shop. You would be blown away. What happens when you stop and ask yourself, who do I know that I don't realize that I know, that I'm not even, that I'm unaware of that I know? You know, when I was in Southern Indiana, I knew if I stopped and, and, and looked around, I would see that the head of the design tech school, the associate's degree program, the local community college, the head of that knew one of the top illustration agents that worked with some of my favorite artists. If I would have stopped and prioritized meeting my mentors, I could have done that from the jump and fast forwarded so much progress. Here is a practical thing that you can do right now. John Acuff in the book Do Over has this note card activity. And I'm gonna, I systematized it a little bit more. His activity is, you know, write down everybody that you can think of that you know that knows something about the world that you want to be in. Right? Like that's what I did do that. That was part of I knew something about kids' books. I did stop and say, what people do I know that are just in kids' books, adjacent to kids' books? You know, I knew someone at the publisher that knew people in their kids' book department. I did do that, and it did take me where I needed to go eventually, right? That's the first step. But I want to systematize it a little bit more and give you a, a, a little bit more tactical way of approaching this note card thing. We're going to work from the top and go backwards. We're going to reverse engineer how to find people that can give you an in to the mentors that are going to change your perspective and, and humanize your heroes. Okay, start with the niche topic. What is it? Is it storytelling? Is it pop music? Is it music for TV? Is it music for commercials? Is it, uh, you know, writing commercials? Is it directing movies? What is it? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Start with the niche. What is the thing that you want to focus on?
And actually, we're going to, in like step two, I'll give you some hints. If you're stuck on that one, in step two, we'll talk about how to get to the niche. But uh, start with that. Then list heroes, people that you don't have any connection to in that are just at the top, the people that you think these people know more than I could ever imagine, a.k.a. Derek Delgadio, folks like this, right? Okay, do you know those people? No, you don't. Do you know anyone who knows these people? You probably don't. You, but do you know, go one, one step down the ladder, do you know anyone who knows people who knows those people a few degrees away? And then if you don't have any of those, and even if you do, list them out, but just keep listing all these things out. The last one, what about people who even know anything about that niche. That's where you're going to have to start. That's where I started at the start of my career is just people who knew. Like I just wanted, you know, there was a period of time, even in storytelling, when I got really obsessed with that, I just wanted to be around people who appreciated storytelling. If you spend your time, if you seek those relationships out, just people that will talk about the thing you want to talk about for more than five seconds, go seek those people out. The people that own the magic shop that will just talk to you about magic, you will be blown away by the people they know and the people that those people know and the people that those people know. And you're prioritizing. It's not networking. It's not climbing a ladder. It's not stepping on heads. It's prioritizing connection with humans that love what you love. It's the purest thing in the world. And if I would have had this episode, you know, so many episodes are me talking to past Andy. If I would have had this episode, you know what I would have known three years ago? I would have known that when, and I was already obsessed with storytelling three years ago, I had a friend who invited me to a conference who knew a guy that he also had come to the conference. That guy was business partners with a guy named Brian McDonald, who you've heard me talk about to, over and over. That guy wrote the book Invisible Ink. He's a story expert. He's consulted for some of the best storytellers in the world. Uh, he probably wrote Invisible Ink. It's probably my favorite storytelling uh, book. And I could have connected with him three years ago. And guess who Brian McDonald just had on his podcast? Derek Delgadio. Okay, so that's that's the power of it. And if I would have had this episode and I would have been prioritizing, humanizing the heroic, I could have. I, I could have been where I am right now three years ago. Okay? Just getting a whiff of the masters, okay? So uh, that's the power of prioritizing, humanizing your heroes. Okay, so if at the start of that list process, starting with the niche, if you're still confused about the niche, the niche is, uh, you know, it's it's the slice of your market, the very particular part of your industry where you are really interested. And I feel like often when we're looking for that place of where we fit in and where we're going to thrive, we are starting with what is great about me. 
And I actually think that that's a really hard place to start. You know, the Franciscan universalist friar Richard Rohr talks about how scientifically speaking, you know, compliments slide off our brains like Teflon because we are not evolutionarily prioritizing internalizing our compliments because it doesn't do that much for survival. That's one of the things I think one of the modern things, you know, as we're working up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think one thing you have to realize is the base part of your brain, the animal part of your brain, it's really good at surviving. But you have this human part of your brain that if you can get intentional, you can actually tap into what it looks like to thrive and transcend your animalistic nature. Okay? Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. But what we do have access to all the time is our faults, are the put-downs, are the things we're self-conscious about, about the ways that we don't fit in. Okay? Number two is find where misfits like you, people that don't fit in to your industry, where do they fit? Because you know how you're a misfit. Okay, start there. That's the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek, the Joseph Campbell quote. The cave you fear to enter is you're afraid to look at the parts of yourself that you've deemed bad or people have put down. I got this hack from Meg Lewis the uh, first time I had her on her po on my podcast, designer, comedian, weirdo, extraordinaire. She just had such a sense of herself. I was so – first time I ever encountered her, I was like, man, you know who you are. And I am just – I love that. How did you do that? And she said, start with your faults. You know, the opposite of your faults are your strengths, not the opposite, the other side of them, Okay. And uh, and I and, and this happened to me, but it also happened to who? Derek Delgadio. <laughs> How many times? How many times am I going to say his name? Somebody tell him. I'm a huge fan. I am a huge freaking fan. Um, but Derek Delgadio is such a. I was reading. You know, basically. I would, can I digress? Who wants to let me digress for five seconds? There's a lot of digression, and it's definitely more than five seconds. But, you know, I'm just going with the flow, going with my faults, because maybe there's some strengths in it. I oh, <laughs> good Lord. Okay. When I'm constantly collecting stories, so many creative journeys, because I, I read a lot of creative journeys. You know, when you le read biographies uh, or, or people's memoirs um, that are have creative path, you're going to learn a lot of things not to do. You're going to see their faults. You're going to see the pitfalls. I'm very interested in that. But I'm also noticing that most people that get into a place in their creative career where people are wanting to hear their story, which means they've got somewhere interesting, most of the time I see the same pattern. It's, it comes from the creative career path. We did a Skillshare class on it, my first Skillshare class. It's really about getting your big break, get, you know, getting gatekeepers to say yes to you by strategically reverse engineering a path. Um, sounds really fancy, but it's not. It's complicated. It's not complicated. It's simple. But the first three steps are a pattern that I see in so many creative journeys that lead to interesting places and it's industry market and niche and we talk about it a lot on the show but what happens is industry is this broad thing that you're interested in you know mu music magic movies all the m industries and the ones that aren't and then within that you get a market another m word um <laughs> god i'm gonna try to rein it in okay the adhd just whoop, 
right on focus. Okay. So, uh, your market, so your industry, your market is a part of that industry where you're like, this is the part of movie making that I love. Cause maybe it's cinematography. Maybe it's, uh, the soundtrack. Maybe it's the directing. Maybe it's the acting, maybe, you know, whatever it is. Then as you move forward, you start to see where people like you with your taste and your interests and your strengths and your faults huh, fit in. And what's interesting is this, again, this could be in the blurb, okay, of the book. Um, because, you know, if you go look anywhere about Derek Delgatti, I know the, I have these spoiler police. Uh, anywhere you look about Derek, you're going to see that he, uh, his story is about sleight of hand and card sheet stuff. Really interesting. I'm not going to give you more than that. But how he figured that out was he loved learning magic, but he didn't like to perform. And he found a place where that fit. But for the longest time, he's self-conscious of like, why don't I want to perform this, right? And that's what happened to me. The same thing happened to me with illustration is that for the longest time in my career, I was making illustration for advertising, for uh, for uh, editorial, and, and for grownups. And I constantly got the same feedback, the same critique. It looks like it's for kids. And I was like, man, why am I such a misfit man? I'm such a nitwit. I don't, I can't remember. <laughs> Gee, I don't fit in. But I did fit in in the land of misfit kids book illustrators because it's not a fault for your illustration to appeal to kids <laughs> if that's what you're trying to do, right? And so start with what are the ways that have been highlighted that you don't measure up and just dive into that cave and say, what is the treasure here? Okay. That will help you define where people like you should go. If you go to acting class and method acting doesn't work for you, well, where do actors go that hate method acting? Where do character actors go? Where... What is the thing where you, that it usually starts not by a process of discovering what your talent is, but what your weaknesses are, and then whittling down to the place where you have a groove. So find your land of misfit artists. Okay, so the last thing I want you to do, this is your homework, is to keep the bloop on a loop, okay? Keep the bloop on a loop, what does that mean? It means seek out the bloopers of your heroes. You're so focused on their massive wins, their magic moments that you forget that guess what? Most of the time, or for a long time, they sucked, or still at the height, they made a misstep that was a complete terrible move creatively. All humans do this. Part of this episode was inspired by, yes, a, well, a large part was inspired by Derek Delgadio, but um, it was also inspired by Matthew McConaughey. So Derek Delgadio, one of the things I heard him say on Brian McDonald's podcast that's on our 
podcast network. It's called You Are a Storytelling Storyteller. Highly recommend that episode. They, uh, you know, they start kind of light and just kind of getting talking about story and a few different things. But by the end of it, they are like rolling, man, like a steam train. It's like a steam train. Is that? Does that roll? Does is it fast? Is it powerful? I don't know. Like an electric super speed train. What are those called? The anyway. <laughs> shut up. Uh Andy, Derek's episode with Brian. They talk about how um the power of what would happen when Derek would go meet his heroes. What he would realize is, is that yes, it was really good for a season to not know them. Because he was practicing to be like them. He was like watching uh, highlights of a basketball player, swish half-court shots. But what he realized when he met his heroes were that they edit out all the other times that they missed the shots, that you only ever see the highlights. And that he realized that he had been working towards being able to produce those half-court shots, metaphorically speaking, with his magic. And then realizing that, no, these people are just human, meant that he could be like them and even one day surpass them. The other place I heard this from and I started just noticing these threads about meeting your heroes and, and humanizing your heroes was Matthew McConaughey on Tim Ferriss's podcast. He talks about how he had to unlearn the reverence of mortal things. That when he put people, when he put humans, mortals on a pedestal and, and said, oh, I revere your greatness, it meant that he could never be like them. And he had to move those things down to eye level. And one of the best ways to do that is go seek out your heroes, blooper reel. Seek out the bloops, put them on a loop. One of my complete master heroes of storytelling is James A. Castor. He's a stand-up comedian, but he's also just this master storyteller who weaves in these narratives and callbacks, and it's just next-level stuff. Uh, he's got four uh, specials that he put on Netflix at the same time. They are a masterwork. Highly recommend them. But if you're obsessed with them, I also recommend going on YouTube, YouTube, I'm sorry, James, go on YouTube and go find his earliest comedic appearances in the UK where he's from because he is a totally different person in his, his performance, his character that he shows up with on stage is totally different and it's not as good. You know, he talks about this and by the way, because this has become a obsessive practice of mine to keep the bloop on the loop, I go seek out everything. When I fall in love with someone's creative work, I go and I dig until I understand how the sausage is made. Okay, so I go, I, I've dove deep into his, into interviews with him and I've heard him say that when he started out in comedy, he was a musician at the time. He's, he's really knowledgeable in terms of music and, you know, what's happened on the cutting edge. And he kind of saw himself as a super cool cat, but he realized really soon that the audience saw him as a complete and utter dweeb. And there's this power. We talked about this recently, um, I believe, uh, on a recent episode. Maybe it's a future one I'm still planning. This idea of conjecture, working with how people perceive you, not ignoring it, not 
obeying it, but acknowledging it and subverting it. And he noticed that people saw him as a total dweeb and he decided to riff on that, to play on that. Okay, but before he had that realization, he was performing and some of those performances are still on YouTube and I like to go check him out so I can see that his godlike storytelling creative capabilities all started with the seed of very human flaws and, and they all have an origin. I love reading uh, about Jim Henson, such a hero of mine. But reading his biography humanized him. I realized that some of the things that uh, he struggled with were he didn't always put the story at the forefront, that he needed people around him to do that, that he needed a team to pull off. You know, what we think of as Jim Henson's magic was really the magic of a whole bunch of people, people like Frank Oz. Frank Oz was such a foil to all of his characters that, you know, the chaos and the order, they they needed both of those things. And they, they switched and flip-flopped who was chaos and who was order. You know, Kermit's order, Piggy, which is Frank Oz, is chaos. But Bert is order. And, and Jim to Henson's uh, Ernie of chaos and and they flipped and they they saw different sides and they explored all the facets of their personality and they needed that push and pull. He needed people like Jerry Jewell. Jerry Jewell is one is you know what I found is Henson's a huge hero of mine. But guess who else is Jerry Jewell? I never even realized this is the guy who had this massive fingerprints all over the stories. The great stories of the Muppets, a lot of them came from that guy. A lot of Fraggle Rock is really Jerry Jewell's baby, right? That's what happens when you dig in, when you keep the bloop on a loop. You're going to get the nuance. You're going to get the secrets. You're going to get the truth. Go seek out Bob Dylan's awful Christian album. Go watch Eddie Murphy's Pluto Nash. Go. That's your homework this week. Take your top heroes and go find their earliest work and keep the bloop on a loop. Before we go, I just want to address the elephant in the room. You've, it's the cliche. You've heard it a million times. Never meet your heroes, man. When you see their humanity, man, you're going to you're gonna lose the only hero in your life. But I say no. When you humanize the heroic, you will see that being heroic is humanly possible. And you don't lose a hero. I think you actually have a chance of gaining one. And of course, I'm talking about the hero that you are empowered to become. Creative Pep Talk is part of the CoLoop Podcast Network. CoLoop is a network of creative podcasts designed to fuel your creativity. Make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast by signing up to our newsletter at creativepeptalk.com newsletter. 
You'll receive an email each week when a new episode airs, plus a welcome email that will give you exclusive access to episodes one through 199. Thanks to Yoni Wolf in the band Y for our theme music. Shout out to Alex Sugg for the Creative Pep Talk soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Pizza and Ryan Appleton for content assistance. Massive thanks to Jordan Aaron for editing the show so beautifully. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Until we speak again, stay pepped up.